Thank you so much. Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of John, chapter number 4. And it is an honor to be back at 10 Mile. And I've uh, been praying, I've been excited. I, I always get excited when I have an opportunity to preach and uh, go, go across the country. But it's really a special honor to come back home and, uh, and to be with folks that I know and then a lot of folks that I don't know. As well, uh, Con and I left uh, Southern Illinois in uh, January 1979. Of course, we've been been back many, many times since. But after you're gone a little away for that long a period of time, there's a lot of new folks that come. So some of you I don't know as well. But uh, Connie's not here. She will be here the second service. She does not love you as much as I do. <clears throat> and you can tell her I said that this week's going to be exciting. And I'm going to make you a promise right now, it's going to come and go very, very fast. It'll be over with before you know it. And I'm grateful for a pastor and for churches that still believe that revival is still possible in our generation. And God can do a great, great work in our day. And that's what I'm praying for. I want God to do a work in my life, in my own heart, in these few days that we're together. There's four things that I ask our churches to do during our crusades. Number one is to pray. And I know many of you already have been praying. Well, many times people will pray right up to the time of the crusade and then for some reason they back off or they even stop. This is not the time to stop. I encourage you to pray. Pray hard. Pray for the evangelist. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the music. Pray for lost people. Pray for revival in your own life and for your family. Pray this week. Number two, make a commitment. As far as I'm concerned, there's nothing more important going on in the state of Illinois this week than what's going to be happening right here at Ten Mile Baptist Church. Tonight at 6 o'clock, tomorrow night 6.30, Tuesday night 6.30, Wednesday night 6.30. Some of you have never attended an entire revival crusade. This is your opportunity to do so. Come back tonight, then three more nights, and you will have attended an entire revival crusade. The night that you slip out or the night that you miss, Maybe the very special night that God had planned for you. And uh, so make a commitment. If you, uh, There's a difference between being committed and being involved. You can actually be involved without being committed, but you cannot be committed without being involved. If your wife fixes you eggs for breakfast, the chicken that laid the eggs was involved in your breakfast. If she fixes you whole hog sausage for breakfast, the hog was committed to your breakfast. And so there is a difference. Make a commitment this week. Put everything else aside. Make this important. Make this major. Make this a big deal for you and your family this week. And then number three is to go after others. Don't be satisfied with God doing something in your own life, but to go after others, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates. Go after them. You never know who might come to church if you would invite them. You have influence over people that the pastor does not have influence over. And so I encourage you, be thinking right now of someone that you could invite, even tonight, or tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And then, number four, and this is probably the most difficult thing for all of us, but to be willing to obey. Be willing to obey. Whatever it is that God says, you. if you open up your heart this week and you come with the attitude and the spirit of asking God to speak to you, he's going to speak to you. And 
then the question is, will you be willing to obey? It may mean you going to someone and saying, I'm sorry, I blew it. I said something I shouldn't have said. Will you please forgive me? I've seen real revival break out, spark, just from those few words right there. I'm sorry. I blew it. Will you forgive me? And then revival begins. It may mean that uh, you're paying a debt that you had completely forgot about. It may mean writing a check you had no intention of writing. It may mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But that this week, you personally would be willing to obey whatever it is that God says to you. I believe we're going to have a great week. I've been praying, and I know many of you have. I don't think Pastor Jacob brought me here just to preach. He's good enough, well enough, qualified preacher in his own right. But we want revival. We want God to move. We want the spirit of the living God working all of our hearts in a very, very special and a very unique way this week. All right, John chapter number four. Remember those four things. Pray and then commit yourself and then go after others and then be willing to obey. I'm going to read two verses uh, this morning and then keep your Bibles open. We're going to look at several uh, verses here in John chapter number four. And let me read verses number 13 and 14. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. In John chapter number 4, and then in the preceding chapter, chapter number 3, you have two of the most dramatic presentations of people coming to Christ and finding eternal life. The stories are back to back. However, they are almost diametrically opposite of each other. In John chapter number 3, it is a man who comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. In John chapter number 4, it's a woman who comes to Jesus in the middle of the day. In John chapter number 3, the man is a Jew. In John chapter 4, the woman is a Gentile. In John chapter number 3, a man who's learned and educated. In John chapter number 4, a woman who's very ignorant. In John chapter number 3, a man who recognizes Jesus as a teacher being sent from God. In John chapter 4, a woman who does not have the foggiest idea who Jesus is. In John chapter number 3, a man who is a religious leader of his day. In John chapter number 4, a woman who is an adulterous woman of her day. And yet, in both of these stories, both of these people come to Christ, and they both find eternal life. Church, the message to you and I today, no matter what side of the tracks people may be from, no matter how low or how high on the ladder of success they may have attained, Jesus came to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And our job, our responsibility is to tell this world the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want us to focus our attention for a few moments on this woman at the well. 
This is a great story in John chapter number 4 and verse number 4. And it says, and he must needs, speaking of Jesus, and he must needs go through Samaria. Why? Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Well, you have to understand. And in Jesus' earthly ministry, he did nothing by accident. He did nothing by coincidence. When Jesus moved, he moved with reason and with purpose. You have to also understand that Jesus was 100% man and he was 100% God. You say, Tim, how in the world can you explain that? I cannot explain it anymore than I can tell you how a black cow can eat green grass, give white milk, and turn to yellow butter. I don't know how it happens. But it does happen. Jesus was God. And he knew that when he came to this well, that there would be a woman that would come and he had a message for this woman. And so the Bible says that he came to the woman. In verse number five, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied, uh, with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It was noon hour. And then come, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. Now, Jesus does not immediately strike up a spiritual conversation with her. He strikes up a conversation that she can relate to. He asked her for a drink of water. Everyone, every person in this room today understands thirst. All of us have been thirsty, young and old. Some of us have sometimes been extremely thirsty. I went to a roadside stand in South Vietnam, and I paid a little Vietnamese mama son 10 American dollars for a Pepsi-Cola. I wouldn't have paid that for a Coca-Cola, but I paid it for a Pepsi-Cola. And uh, now, uh, when I... When I first got caught and I got married uh, 49 years ago, this coming April, um, well, I only weighed 110 pounds, but my wife's a great cook. I'm telling you, that woman knows how to cook, and I started putting on weight. And uh, and then I figured out they only make these wheelchairs so wide, and uh, so I started drinking diet drinks. And I don't like diet Pepsi. I just got a kerosene taste to me. I don't like it. But anyhow, I started drinking diet Cokes, and now I'm addicted to those things. You can just put them in my vein, and it and it'll be all right. But uh, besides that, the CEO of Coca-Cola Bottling Company gave our ministry ten thousand dollars. There are some things I can be bought off on. All right. But but he talks to her. He asks her for a drink of water, and immediately. She is blown away. She cannot believe what has happened. Look what she says in verse number 10. The Samaritan said unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And boy, was she ever right. It was customary in her day for a Jewish person to go over on the other side of the street rather than be caught on the same side of the street with a Gentile, and especially a woman of her background. But here he is. He's not only talking to her, he's actually asking her for a favor. He's asking her for a drink of water, and she is blown away. In verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, 
If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And ladies and gentlemen, young people, the key word in verse number 10 this morning for our message is the little word, who. He said, if you only knew who you were talking to. Now get the picture. She's talking to Jesus. She's talking to the son of the living God. But she doesn't have a clue who he is. So many times we become so enamored with the what that we forget about the who. We talk about Moses and a burning bush and how that bush could burn and yet not be consumed. And man, that was a great miracle. But not for you and I to become so enamored with a, with a burning bush that we forget who it was that was in the bush and who it was that spoke to Moses from the burning bush. We sing songs about the cross. But oh, my soul, we should sing songs about the cross. But not for you and I to become so enamored with a physical wooden cross that we forget who it was that was on the cross and who it was that shed his blood upon the cross and who it was that died upon the cross. We sing songs about the grave, that empty tomb, and we should sing songs about that empty tomb, but not for you and I to become so fixed on, an, on a physical geographical grave that we forget who it was that was in the grave and who it was that three days later got up from the grave victorious over sin, victorious over death, victorious over hell. Ladies and gentlemen, the world has heard enough about the what. They need to hear about the who. And Jesus is the who. And she's talking to him. But she doesn't know who. He is. Look at what she says. Look at verse number 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, she, she's quite respectful. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? She doesn't know how great of a statement she's just made. Yes, he's greater than Jacob. He's greater than Isaac. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than any of the prophets that ever has lived or ever will live. He is the son of the living God. And she's talking to him. Now, you know what our Lord has been doing up until this time? He's been reasoning with this woman. You know our God is a reasonable God. I think sometimes we're not nearly as reasonable as God. We look at people and because of their background or their lifestyle or where they've been or what they've done and we think, man, if anybody would ever deserve to go to hell, they would deserve to go to hell. And God looks at that very same person in love and grace and mercy and compassion and declares that if they're willing to repent of their sin, and receive my son Jesus as their personal savior. They can be my child. And they can live with me forever. In this beautiful place called heaven. God says in Isaiah come therefore and let us reason together. 
He's reasonable. And he's reasoning with her. Now, our Lord gives two of his most profound statements in his earthly ministry right here, back to back. We read them a while ago as our text verses. Let's read them again. Look again, if you would, at verse number 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Truer words were never spoken. Last night in McLeansboro. Last night in Mount Vernon. Last night in Chicago. In Philadelphia. In New York. In Atlanta. Dallas. In Houston. In, in San Francisco. All over America last night. And all over the world. People were drinking from the waters of the wells of this world. But let me tell you something. Tonight. They're going to be thirsty again. And tomorrow night, they're going to be thirsty again. And the next night, the things of this world cannot satisfy that longing in your soul. But there's an answer. And the very next verse gives it to us. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I should give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And for our message this morning, the key word in verse number 14 today is the word whosoever. Aren't you glad God said whosoever? God didn't. I'm glad God didn't say, didn't say you had to be rich in order to go to heaven because most of us would have never made it. And I'm glad God didn't say you had to be super intelligent in order to go to heaven because most of us would have never made it. And I'm glad God didn't say you had to be great looking in order to go to heaven because some of you would have never made it. But he said that if thou should confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. When Jesus died on that old rugged cross, he died for the sins of the black and the white, the red, the yellow, for the rich and the poor. For the educated and the ignorant, for the strong and the weak, Jesus died for the sins of all. So now let me ask you something. Do you think this woman is interested in what Jesus has just offered her? Oh, you better believe. She's, she's interested. He has her undivided attention. Look at what, look at what she says in verse number 15. The woman saith unto him, sir, Give me this water. Give me this water that I thirst not. Neither come hither to draw. Give me the water. Now, this is where our story takes a strange turn. He does not immediately give her the water. Matter of fact, he does something kind of weird. He says, Jesus says, in verse number 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Oh, wait a minute. What does her husband have to do with anything? Those of us who have been in church all of our lives, we've seen women get saved without their husbands being there. We've seen men get saved without their wives being there. What's this got to do with anything? On the surface, it would appear maybe nothing, but there's something below the surface. Let's read a little further. Look at what she says in verse 17, after he told her to go, go call her husband, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. 
for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. Oh my. Wow. What is this? Is this a setup? Has Jesus brought this woman to this place just to embarrass her? To shame her? To pull the rug out from underneath her? Has he brought her here to condemn her? Oh no. No. Because the preceding chapter, chapter number three, when Jesus is talking to that religious man, he said that God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But it goes on in John 3.18 to say that he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, young people, I need you to hear me now. This is not word games. This is not somatics. But you cannot get saved until you first get lost. What do you mean by that, Tim? You have to see yourself the way this holy and righteous God sees you. And how does this holy and righteous God see us? He sees us as sinners. Every one of us. I've sinned. Pastors sinned. We've all sinned. Every one of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our sin that separates us from God. It's our sin that keeps us from having a right relationship with God. First comes reasoning, and then comes repentance. Repentance is what I call the forgotten doctrine of our generation. You don't hear much preaching today about repentance. Oswald Chambers said the bedrock of Christianity is repentance. He said, strictly speaking, a man cannot repent when he chooses. Repentance is a gift of God. Well, hey, every good and perfect gift comes from above, including this gift, the gift of repentance. He said the old Puritans used to pray for the gift of tears. Wow. Wow. Pray for the gift of tears? I'm afraid that maybe we need to pray for the gift of tears. The church doesn't weep as much as we used to weep. We don't cry as much as we used to cry. We don't use Kleenexes like we used to to wipe the tears away. I was preaching in San Francisco years ago at a large Chinese Bible church. And it was on a weeknight, more than a thousand people there. And in the choir was well over 200, maybe 250 people. And they were singing a song that night about the cross. And then I looked up at that choir. And I promise you I'm not exaggerating. There may have been two or three people in that choir that their eyes were dry. The rest of them had tears running down their faces. They were singing about the cross. And what Jesus had done on that cross. Ladies and gentlemen, we think of what Jesus did for us. And we think about the cross. It ought to cause us to weep because he did it for us. He did it for our sins. Oswald Chambers said, 
If ever you cease to know the virtue of repentance, you're in darkness. And then he said this, examine yourself and see if you've forgotten how to be sorry. When's the last time you told God you were sorry? With brokenness and tears. We want revival this week. We want God to move in a special way this week. But it's got to start with us as individuals. And we have got to pray for the gift of tears. And we have got to realize that there's a times in our lives when we have to come before this holy God to say, God, I blew it. I messed up. I shipwrecked. Will you forgive me? Hey, I got news for you. God is a God of a second chance. God is a God of forgiveness. First comes reason and then comes repentance. And now, the good part of the story. You knew I had a good part, didn't you? Well, of course. Look at verse, go back to chapter number 4, John 4 and verse number 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. Now, I want you to go back to the thought. This woman is talking to Jesus. And she doesn't know who he is. But Jesus is telling her who he is. Go back to verse number 19. After Jesus told her about her husbands and about her living in sin, the woman said, she could have got mad, but I believe the Holy Spirit was actually dealing with her heart. The woman, and when the Holy Spirit deals with us, we normally act in one or two ways. We get mad, and we push it aside, or we do something about it. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me then, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. She's talk, he's talking to a Gentile. But the hour cometh, and now is that when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, and the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the Spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now Jesus is introducing himself so she knows. And the woman saith to him, I know that Messiah cometh. Wait a minute. How does she know this? How does she know that Messiah is going to come? Somebody has been witnessing to this woman. So she's been hearing this somewhere. Somebody's told her that the Messiah is coming. I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he is come, he will tell us all things. Well, Jesus just got through telling her everything about her life. And now it's going to become clear. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I'm the one. 
I'm the one you're looking for. I am the Messiah. And so, he, she says, she runs back to town, come see a man, verse 29, which told me all things that ever I did is not this to Christ. And this is where most scholars believe this woman was converted. Where, where was she converted? At the well. Is there any evidence of her salvation? I offer you two pieces of evidence this morning. Number one, what did she go to the well for? She took her pot to the well to draw water. But now she's gone all the way back to town. She left her pots out there. But I got good news for you. She took the whole well back to town with her. She's, she's got the living water now. And folks, listen to this. She doesn't go back to town depressed and defeated and discouraged. She goes back to town with a story to tell. She just met Jesus. She just met a man who told her everything about her life. And she goes back to town to tell people, and here is the amazing thing. They believed her. Hey, she's got a pretty sorry reputation. She's been married so many times, and the guy she's living with now is not her husband. Everybody knows her. But for some reason, they believe her. And let me offer you my strongest piece of evidence. Verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. He told me all that ever I did. This woman has never been to Sunday school a day in her life. She's never been to vacation Bible school. She's never been to a worship service. She's never been to seminary. But you know what she does? She goes back to town and she begins to testify. Friend, if you've been saved, if you've been born again, if God has changed your life, you've got something to testify about. If all you did was shake the pastor's hand, that's not much of a testimony. If all you did was fill out a card, write your name on a card, that's not much of a testimony. But if you got changed, if your life got changed by the power of God and you got born in the family of God, now you've got a story. Now you've got a testimony. She goes back to town and she begins to testify. And they believe her. And a whole bunch of them followed her back out to the well where Jesus was at and a whole bunch of them got saved too. Revival breaks out. Remember I told you nothing happens by accident and coincidence? But God had a plan. Jesus remains for two more days. Look if you would at verse number 40. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed the cause of his own words. Verse 42. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Wow. Folks, this is the way it happens. You get saved, you can't keep it for yourself. You want your family to be saved. You want your friends to be saved. You want your neighbors to be saved. You want everybody to get saved. And she goes back to town and tells them, and they come back out, and a whole bunch of them got saved too. That's the way it happens. When you get 
truly born again, you're going to want to tell others. You're going to want to testify. You're going to let them know that you are a child of the king. What that young boy did up there in the baptistry this morning was to tell the whole world that he's a believer and that he's not ashamed of it. And my friend, when you get saved, when you truly get changed by the power of God, you're not going to be ashamed of it. I've never heard anybody say, I'm sorry I got saved. I've heard a bunch of people say, I wish I'd have gotten saved sooner. First comes reasoning, and then comes repentance, and then comes rejoicing. God's people ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. We've got more to rejoice about even in the midst of a world that is in serious trouble today. We've got something to rejoice about. I'm talking about the church ought to be the most exciting place in town because of God's people rejoicing. Rejoicing about what? Because we're off the road to hell and we're on the road to heaven. Because we're a child of the king. We've been born into the family of God. We've got something to rejoice about. I see it happen. Normally it's in the second service. And, and it's getting close to that magical time. Noon hour. Noon hour on Sunday. For some people, if God can't do it by noon hour, that's too bad. Because we've got to beat the Methodists to the restaurant. The invitation starts and people are coming to get saved and people are coming to make decisions for Christ and you can see the look. No, I'm talking about church people. I'm talking about members. And it looks like they're almost disgusted. And, and that, how long is this going to take? And they're looking at their watches and, and, and people are getting saved. And then sometimes, it doesn't happen often, but once in a while the pastor will come and say, folks, I just feel led of the Holy Spirit that there's at, there's at least one more that ought to come, and, and we're going to sing one more verse today. Huh, huh. Woe be the person that steps out and comes on that verse. Why didn't they come when everybody else was coming? It's going to take somebody seven or eight minutes to show them how to get saved. Well, it'd be my luck that they'll even tell the pastor they want to get baptized today. And now the Pentecost are going to beat us at the cafeteria. Hey, if people were getting saved at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we ought not be thinking about food. We ought to be rejoicing. We ought to be plumb excited about it. The Bible says they're rejoicing in the presence of angels over one, over one that gets saved. Hey, if they're rejoicing in heaven, in the presence of angels? How much more should we be rejoicing down here when it's happening right before our eyes? Hmm? It ought to be exciting. You realize, Pastor, that there was over 6,000 Baptist churches last year that did not baptize one convert. You baptized more people this morning than 6,000 other churches baptized last year. 
You know why there's not much rejoicing in our churches in America? We're not seeing people saved. Well, has God, has God died? Has God quit saving souls? Does God not care anymore whether people go to hell or not? But of course he cares. And that's why you and I need to care this week, this week. We can see a great outpouring of God's spirit and we can see a great harvest of souls. But lost people normally are not just going to show up at your church accidentally. You know why they're going to come? Because you asked them to. Because you got involved. Because you said something to them and because you have a burden for them. I remember when this new building was being built and I was up here when people had taken black markers and written on the concrete floors and on these steps names of people that they were burdened about. And they wanted to see get saved. Well, have we lost that? Do we care? Do we care in 2021 as much as we did when we built the new building? I hope we care. There's still names under here, and I'm sure some of them haven't gotten saved yet. Maybe many of them have. I don't know. But I just know that there's a whole world out there of lost people. And they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And they're like the woman at the well. They need to meet Jesus. I don't know how much time we have, folks. The time's running short. But these are the last days. If the trumpet is getting ready to sound, and God's going to pour out His Spirit in a great measure in the last few days before the Lord comes back, I'm not saying He is, but if He was, I want to be in on it. I want to be a part of it. And I want to see my friends saved and, and, and your friends saved and your family saved this week. Should be that week. I want you to bow your heads this morning. I'm going to ask that no one leave the building unless it's an emergency. No one moving except for those that are coming to play and to sing in just a few moments. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you'll right now just not disturb anyone, not talk to anyone. If you just draw an imaginary circle around yourself in your mind, no one to the right, the left, just you and me and God. I'm going to ask you something. And I want you to be honest. Nobody's going to embarrass you at all. But I want you to be honest. How many in this room today would say, Tim, I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I were to die in the next three minutes where I'm seated, I know I would go to heaven. I remember the day when I met Jesus and he changed my life. I'm not talking about being a Baptist, a Methodist, a Lutheran, a Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Assembly of God, a Catholic. I'm talking about being saved. Tim, I remember the day that I got saved and God changed my life and I'm saved and I'm not the least bit ashamed of it. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high. Wow, what a great sight. You can take your hands down. Christians, don't ever be ashamed or embarrassed for a preacher to ask you that question and for you to give testimony. Good night. If you can't give testimony to church, where would you ever hope to give testimony? There were some who could not raise their hand. And I want to tell you today that I appreciate you being honest. You could have put your hand up when others raised theirs. I wouldn't have known the difference, but you would have and God would have. And in just a moment, I want you to let me pray for you. 
But before I do that, how many of those of you that raised your hands and say, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know if I died, I go to heaven, but I don't have the joy like I used to have. And I need God to do something in my heart, in my life. I don't want to run from God. I don't want to be out of the will of God. I don't want to be apathetic and indifferent and just coast through life. I want God to do something in my heart and in my life. Tim, pray for me today that I can have my joy back and I can see real revival in my own heart and in my own life. Let me see your hands today. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. Hold them up high. You can take them down. Friend, I'm going to ask you to come today. And we... We'll do it a little different than maybe what you're used to. Today I'm going to ask you to come and stand. Many times we kneel, that's fine. But today I'm going to ask you to come and stand right here at the Lord's Supper table and come facing me. We're going to pray together. God is going to do something in your life here today. You're afraid to come to yourself? Ask someone to come with you. Someone's in your way, nudge them. They'll move over. But you come today. Christians, if you'll come, it'll help lost people to come to Christ. Workers and Counselors, when the people come, you come and stand here too, but don't talk to anyone, don't even pray with anyone. Just come and stand here as moral support until I pray and give instruction. You'll understand why in a few moments. Hey, let me ask this. How many say, Tim, I've been saved, but I've not been baptized since I was saved. And I know I need to be baptized. I know God commands that in his word. Tim, pray for me about this important commitment of baptism. Let me see your hand today. Would you hold it up high? Baptism, God bless you, precious lady. God bless you, young person. Anyone else, just put your hand up. I know I need to be baptized. Anyone else, make the commitment. You come and stand here today. I'll help you to make the commitment. They'll baptize you next Sunday or the following Sunday. If you want your family and friends to be here, that's a good thing. Are there those who say, Tim, I'm not a member of 10 Mile, but I'm looking for a church home. I'm looking for a place to call family. Maybe you represent your whole family or just you as an individual. You say, Tim, pray for me about this important commitment of church membership, the way this church accepts members. Let me see your hands today. We'll just slip them up high. I'm looking for a church home. God bless you, man. God bless you, friend. Anyone else at all? This is a good church. A pastor and a people that will love you and encourage you and bless you. And you'll be a blessing to them. And every week you wait becoming a part of this exciting fellowship is a week you could have spent serving God right here. So I'm going to ask you to come during this invitation time. Start off this crusade, this revival crusade in the right way. Now right before we sing, I want our pianist just to play very, very quietly. And I want to ask the most important question. Where will you spend eternity? If your heart was to stop beating right now and they were to come into this room and officially pronounce you dead, where would you spend eternity? In heaven or in hell? Friend, if you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, I have to tell you the truth. You wouldn't go to heaven You'd be separated from God forever in a horrible, horrible place called hell. God loves you today. He loves you so much that he gave his only son to die on an old rugged cross. And today, 
could be the greatest day of your entire life. Will you let me pray for you? No one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to intimidate you in any form or fashion. But would you let me pray for you today? How many in this room would say, Tim, the truth of the matter is, I am not for sure. Just keep the lights up, guys. I am not for sure that if I were to die right now, that I would go to heaven. I could not raise my hand a while ago when all those others raised theirs. Or I did raise my hand, but still, I'm not 100% for sure. If I were to die, that I would go to heaven, and I certainly don't want to go to hell. And Tim, I want you to include me in that prayer. No one looking but me and God. Tim, include me in that prayer. Let me see your hand. Slip it up high. Make sure I see it. And then you can take it right back down. Tim, I'm not for sure if I died, I would go to heaven. God bless you, lady. God bless your heart. Anyone else, quietly put your hand up. I'm not for sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. Would there be one more? God bless you, young man. God bless you, buddy. Anyone else? Anyone else at all? Those of you that raise your hand, this to be the greatest day of your life. We're only going to sing one verse of invitation. I'm not going to have a long, drawn-out invitation unless God was leading otherwise. So I'm going to ask you to come. When I have you stand in a moment, the very moment I have you stand, you leave your seat. Christians, you set the example. You be the first. It'll help lost people to come to Christ. One verse is all we're going to sing. You do today what God wants you to do. You'll never be sorry. Would you stand to your feet all over the building? Everyone's able to stand. My buddy begins to sing. Come on right now. If you were serious when you raised your hand, come quickly. Come right here. Come on. Step out of your seat. Say, I'm going with God. Come on. You raise your hand. That's it. Come on right now. Just come and stand right here today. Him, I want my joy back. I need revival in my own heart, in my own life. Come on, precious lady. Come on, young man. Just up out of your seat. Say, I'm going to go with God. Our heads are bowed and Christians are praying. I told you one verse. That's it. There were so many hands raised a while ago. And folks, if we're going to have revival this week, we have to stop playing church. We have to stop playing games with God. We have to get real. We have to be transparent. There are two vital parts of this invitation. We're going to deal with the absolute most important part first. If you have never been saved, your life has never, ever been changed by the power of God. In a moment, I'm going to pray out loud what we oftentimes refer to as a sinner's prayer. It's a prayer that I prayed as a 10-year-old boy my dad's church in North City. And if you want to be saved today, here at the front or there in your seat, if you want to be saved today and you're serious about it, then when I pray this prayer out loud, I want you to pray it in your heart. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I know my sins can separate me from you forever. But today, I want to be saved. 
God, please forgive me of all my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Make me your child. Right now, this very moment, I am trusting Jesus Christ and Him alone as my Lord and Savior. Take me to heaven when I die, for I am now your child. Our heads are still bowed. No one's looking but myself, the pastor, and the Lord, that's all. If you just now prayed that prayer in your heart, here at the front or there in your seat, if you prayed that prayer today, and you meant it with your whole heart, no one else looking, Tim, when you prayed that prayer out loud, I prayed it in my heart, and I meant it with my whole heart. Let me see your hand. Hold it up high. Hold it up high so I can see where you're at, and then you can take it back there. I don't see a hand raised anywhere. After the service is over, I'll be here. Pastor will be here. You raised your hand. You wasn't for sure you were saved, but you didn't pray with me today. Don't leave here lost. Don't leave here without Christ. Is there anyone today want to make a decision about baptism or church membership? Anyone at all? Hold your hand up. Make sure I see it. If you are raising your hand about baptism or church membership, then after the service, I want you to see Pastor Jacob and just tell him, I, I want to be baptized or I want to be a member of Ten Mile Baptist Church. And now there is a lot of people today who said, well, I know I'm saved, but I don't have a joy like I used to have. I don't have that revival spirit the way I used to have. And friend, this is so important that we start our first service off right. We all get in tune the same same way right now. Lord, I want revival. God, I need you to do something in my heart. So I'm going to pray, and when I'm praying out loud, you pray in your heart right where you're at. Just ask God. Tell God, Lord, I've, I've sinned. I've, I've ignored you. I've been apathetic. I've been indifferent. I've been running from you. Lord, today I'm coming home. I want my joy back. Father, thank you for this special time. Lord, for these that raised their hand, they were not for sure they're saved, that today, even before they leave here, that they would get saved. And then, Lord, I pray for these who are saying, I just want my joy back. I want my walk with God back. I want to be right with the Lord. Would you, Lord, restore the joy, give back victory, and start a revival fire burning in their hearts and their lives? God, we thank you for what you've done, and the victories has been won. In Jesus' name I pray. Give these folks a big hand. Let them get back to their seat this morning. Let's give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Pastor, you come, and just a reminder, 6, uh, six, uh, six o'clock tonight. 6.30 Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm telling you, it's going to be a fast week. We'll be praying that God will speak to our hearts and break up our fallow ground, that we'll all be in tune with what God wants to do here in these few days that we're together. Pastor, you come.